Nelson Mandela had so much compassion for his brothers and sisters. People don't realize it's about the Beatles, but they knew they were brilliant. One story in every human being that defines who you are. Do we film on a volcano that's just about to explode? But the reason this mail pack has been astoundingly successful is because there are pictures of rabbits on the envelope. I mean, I think there's something about chaos, right? It either, either you run from it or you run towards it. And for me, there was really this in instance of wanting to run towards it. Our guest today on Great Minds is someone who's become a good friend over the last several years. Um, and uh, Stefan Lork is the CEO of the World Federation of Advertisers, based in Brussels, where you are right now. And you are a true citizen of the world. Did you ever imagine in your wildest dreams that there would be a circumstance that would unite the world in the way that this has? The, the short answer is no. Um, I, I, I'm, I would never have imagined that the world would be hit real time collectively with an event which basically brings to a standstill um, um, life and society um, um, in general. But never in my wildest dream would I have imagined that we could come to standstill real time all around the world. No. <laughs> I'm probably an optimist in my DNA, um, and um, and as you know, the, the, as you probably know, the word the word crisis in, in Mandarin is is um, includes actually two meanings. One is threat, and one is opportunity. And so, um, as you look at situations like the one we're uh, witnessing today, I'm actually always keen to look at what what's the silver lining, what I'll, no, what 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 will that bring to um, to us as society? And and I'm a big believer that. There are two things which are going to be changing significantly our perspectives as we get out of this crisis. One is a sense of, of commonality, of, of shared destiny, uh, something which is driven home like, like, like no other event has ever uh, been able to. Um, and I think the, the other thing which, is, which, which people are going to be probably better understanding is this notion of vulnerability. No, our societies are so sophisticated, so no, um, so robust on the face of it. Um, suddenly, you do realize that uh, there's actually not that. It's not. It's not that solid. You know, it, it actually collapses very, very quickly. And you already start hearing about all those scenarios in terms of what it would mean if this lockdown is extended by an additional month, or two additional months, or even six months. And you have all the scenarios coming up. So I do think that the share is a better understanding of them. Of, of, um, of, the, of the shared destiny and, and, um, and I think a more realistic sense of the vulnerability of, of our society and of our planet. I think these will be two important changes um, as we come out of this crisis. Looking at the world today and reflecting on your tenure at the UN, it used to be that those institutions would lead and that we would look at place organizations like the United Nations, and like our own White House here in America, that America historically has played a leadership role. And it seems now that leadership is either an abstentia or coming from different places. Your uh, country of origin, France, I think Macron has really stepped up as, as, a, as a leader. What's your take on where leadership is coming from now and the increasing importance of business taking a leadership role? 
back then when I was um, uh, at the UN, it was the end of the 80s, it was a very, very different world. Um, it was not the leaderless world, it was a, um, a, a dual world. It was a, a duopoly, if you want. Now, I remember the the United, um, the US and the Western uh, allies you know, on, on you know, um, trying to sort of um, um, you know, defend defend the free Western uh, world um, against against the threat of, of of the Soviet Union and their and their satellites. That was that was that was. Um, I'm not sure the world, by the way, was in a much better shape back then than it is today. You know, people always tend to look back and say, you know, these were the old, good old times. I remember how it felt in the 80s. You no, know, we had. Uh, you no, know, I was living. You no, know, I I grew up in. Uh, in, um, in in Western Europe, you know, um, back then we had you no know, SS twenty nuclear missiles, you know, uh, targeting us, uh, and you no, know, and Soviet troops were forty eight hours from uh, from the Atlantic coast. So um, there was a, I, I can still remember there was this um, a lot of uncertainty um, um, uh, back then too, um, and many of the issues which the plan was confronted with weren't really dealt with because you had this paralysis of those two superpowers. So I'm just Putting into perspective the challenges today, with what it was back then, it wasn't it wasn't rosy back then either. Um, today, uh, you're right. We we are in, um, we're 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 living in a world a multipolar world as it's as it's known. Um, and the big the big change um, is clearly the fact that um, for many reasons the U.S. is stepping back from its uh, leadership role. Um, that has certain implications on on the way um, many of those global issues are are being dealt with. Um, and um, but I think there are other other um, dynamics at work too. Um, I think there is a um, there is a backlash against um, um, thirty years of continued globalization, which we need to be acknowledging. Uh, people who in many countries feel that they've been left out, and um, and and that is challenging some of our basic assumptions. You know, our basic assumptions have always been that open borders and circulation of people, information, and goods, etc., was going to create an ever more equal and uh, world and uh, a better world, and that all would it would work for everyone in society. And um, I haven't I haven't dropped any of my convictions, but I think it's it's important also to look uh, to look at our model and see what needs to be fixed if we want to be recreating the dynamic and the momentum uh, around around our deep belief, which is um, which is you know, freedom and democracy. Hmm? So you have a, a very well-formulated view of your your beliefs. And presumably that was shaped some probably from your parents, some your education, some from within. But I wonder, reflecting on that year or so you spent at the UN, were there some people, some great minds who really influenced you and helped shape who you are now, you know, 30 years later? I've, I've kept what my my dad always told me is is never believe one person or one truth. Yeah, um, always make up your mind. But I think there were influences, people people who um, who, who I did admire. You know, uh, and I remember as a kid, you know, the, the sort of books when I think back as a kid, the sort of books which which I, I remembered many years later and which really fascinated me. I think there are a few. Um, uh, I can still remember. Um, the um, Kontiki by Thor Heyerdahl, which is a Norwegian explorer who set out to prove that pre-Columbian civilizations of Latin America were able to um, to uh, travel by boat to uh, Polynesian islands, um, so before the Spanish invaded uh, um, uh, South America, 
Uh, I remember David, um, 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 what's her name again? Uh, Alessandra David Neal, the first um, female traveler to ever reach Tibet in the 1920s. Um, um, what else? Um, I remember being fascinated by the story of Jardine Matheson, the Scottish traders, the first Scottish traders who traded with China um, before the Opium War in uh, early 19th century and how that then built the trade houses in Hong Kong, etc. So these were the sort of uh, things which, um, which, which, which have truly fascinated me when I was, uh, when I was young. I think what, um, what, what, what my passion uh, for, um, for uh, understanding new horizons, for exploration, for, yeah, it, it certainly is, uh, was fueled by those. Later on, um, music did play a role too. Um, I was a big fan of Peter Gabriel. I remember my my uh, my first concerts, um, and I remember also um, uh, discovering more about the uh, South African apartheid struggle with Biko. You know, um, and and uh, um, got actually interested in in the story of uh, of South Africa. Um, um, or, well, I think it was 1980 or end of 70s. Um, yeah, so that. You know, these, these were the sort of influences which, uh, which, which I think helped them, um, did play a role as I grew up, yeah. Fantastic. And talk about your tenure at L'Oreal. You had a really good run there and rose up the ladder relatively quickly. Um, reflecting back on that time, what comes to mind? Um, L'Oreal is a, is, a, is a very special company. You know, it's a very strong culture. Um, oh, um, the, the company was... Uh, created 110 years ago, I think they've had in total five CEOs, um, and the, the 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 company is still um, uh, controlled by by the family of the founder. Um, people stay in L'Oréal three months, three years, or 30 years. I stayed 11. Yeah, um, um, it is it is a very um, um, I find a very exciting mix of, 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 of influences. One, it's a Latin culture. So it's, it's warm, it's passionate, it's oral, it's very human. Um, it's, um, um, aesthetics play a very important role. Um, um, and, and at the same time, it's not club met at all. It's, it's very demanding, it's driven, it's ambitious. It's accountable, yeah. And I, I, I actually I like that that um, that apparent contradiction. Um, uh, and you know, being 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 French and German probably helps in a way to uh, you know, to, to embrace that culture. Um, it's a it's a it's an it's a company which which trusts talent rather than age. Um, so you don't have to have grey hair in order to be um, 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 promoted. Um, I think I did in eleven years what what others do in 30 or 35 years in, in many companies. So I was, um, I was um, director general of the L'Oreal Paris uh, consumer, um, consumer products division in Belgium uh, when I was 31. Um, and there are many, many of those examples. Uh, but I think what, what I really um, appreciate, appreciated most in L'Oreal is, is the people, the leaders. Um, um, they have they have really um, been inspirational. They, they, for me, they've been mentor. Um, um, I mean, I, I couldn't talk about all of them. And by the way, anecdotally, my first head of unit, um, when I joined L'Oreal, I was, uh, I was 24, yeah. 
My first head of unit was Jean-Paul Lagon, who became the global CEO of L'Oreal 20 years later. So um, I, was, I was privileged to be working with exceptional people, but one in particular uh, was, was a mentor. He was, he was a rising star in, uh, in L'Oreal. He was my boss in L'Oreal um, Belgium. Um, uh, he had all the talents. No, he was he was smart. He was creative. He had fifty nine good ideas every minute. You know, um, one bad but fifty nine really good ones. Um, he was um, he was drawing cartoons of the top management uh, as we sat in um, in senior leadership meetings um, at the headquarters. He had basically all the talents. No, uh, I was his marketing director. He was my director general. And, and he was 32 and I was 31 um, when he left. He, he left from a day to another. He said, look, I'm off. I just couldn't believe it. Everyone was saying he was going to be in the race for not for the top job. And he said, it's not, it's not my job. It's not, it's not my career. It's not me. All I've done uh, is, is prove to my dad that I could do it, but it's not me. Um, I said, where are you heading to? I'm going to be uh, in charge of the entertainment programs on MCs, which is the second largest uh, private uh, TV broadcast in France, belongs to the RTL Bertelsmann Group. And something totally unrelated to what he'd ever done. Many, by the way, he was also a musician, etc., etc. And he succeeded incredibly well there, uh, and then set up his own uh, audiovisual production company in Paris, and then succeeded incredibly well there too. Um, and then he converted to uh, Catholicism and. You know, I mean, it's an, uh, larger than life. And what I learned there is whatever your, your talent, it needs to be your inner you which tells you um, what, you know, what you should be doing. You know? and, and, it's not, it's, and it's not the people around you who look at you. And, um, and that, you know what, that gave me four years later the strength to say, you know what, I'm director general of Laurel Consumer Products in Belgium. Everyone was looking at me in awe, you know. Um, but that wasn't enough. That wasn't going to be filling my life, you know. And that's where I found, I found the strength to take an improbable job, which a headhunter was uh, offering me. And that was my job at WFA. You know, you bring up uh, that L'Oreal has had five leaders in 110 years. And I think that continuity of a leadership and the leadership team, that really, to me, is what separates the companies that continue to be successful today, those that have navigated digital change and transformation, and those that haven't. It comes down to that non-technology issue, which is human leadership and compassion and vision. Yeah, I think... You could argue, indeed, that as the world accelerates um, with so much uncertainty, with so much opportunity to be doing, you know, to be going in, in all sorts of directions, having actually a, a, a strong culture, which is um, encapsulated by the CEO in a way, and you add to that a majority shareholder who hasn't changed over, over a century, gives you a stability and in a way almost a confidence that you can be weathering the next storm, which possibly helps make smarter and longer term decisions. I mean, it's, it's difficult to generalize, but certainly in the case of L'Oreal, um, um, that, that proved to be the case. Now, there's always a, a drawback to that. Now, there's never an ideal um, setup. 
the drawback can be also that you know, one culture, continuity, etc. At times, um, you could think, um, 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 put at risk the ability to um, to adjust to a rapidly changing um, world might make it more difficult to get um, outsiders' um, influence and um, into, into, into the company. But even even in, in that respect, I think L'Oreal have have evolved without without betraying their principles and values. They have evolved. You no, know? back then in my time, no one would have ever landed a top job if they hadn't started at my age, you no, know, 24, and then moved up all the ladder. But but L'Oreal being smart enough in order to understand that they can't afford doing that anymore. And you may have seen that the global marketer of the year 2019 of WFA is Lubomira Rocher. She, is, um, she joined L'Oreal, I think, three or four years ago. She was 37, had never worked in a big uh, multinational. Um, background was a sort of um, um, startups and, um, and, and tech companies. Um, no, um, no experience either in the cosmetics industry, but they did, detect, they did detect in her this ability of leadership and drive and so they had, you no, know, they brought her in at board level, which again unheard of. Um, but by doing that, have been able to accelerate the uh, digital transformation. So you are an outlier in uh, in one way in particular, in that since two thousand three, you have had the same email address, and that makes you different and special. And that's something we share. I have also had the same email address for about the same length of time. We started advertising week 2004. And you began at the WFA just a year prior to that. The world was very different. Mark Zuckerberg was on the Harvard campus. We were four years away from YouTube, four years away from the iPhone. Uh, Almost all of the subjects that we're talking about now, putting the coronavirus aside, were either lesser subjects or did not exist at all. Looking back at when you started at the WFA in 2003, what were the big agenda items and what were the big issues on your plate back then? Um, when, when I joined 2003, I mean, maybe I'll ju- I should just explain why I joined, because it, no, why would you ever move from L'Oreal um, to, to WFA? Um, and back then, WFA was a minuscule organization which wasn't completely cutting edge. I joined because of um, an interview with two people, two remarkable people. Now, one was the uh, VP Marketing Europe of Mars, and the other one was VP Public Affairs Procter & Gamble. Um, and they interviewed me for the role in WFA, and, uh, and they had a vision. And, and, and actually, I bought that vision. People thought I was crazy to be... No, moving from one organization with all its you know, uh, success and visibility to that type of trade organization on top of that, not-for-profit. But that's what I did. And the vision they had was um, the fact that marketing-related issues will increasingly become um, international in nature. 2003 was the beginning of it, but, but that, they had that vision. Um, back then, the big issue we were working on was reaching out to the Chinese, you know, finding a way to get the Chinese into the membership starting to not, uh, look at um, how we could potentially even drive a cross-border agenda. And, no, before that time, WK was only an organization where people would come together on a quarterly basis and they would just talk about what they were doing in their countries and that was basically it. There was not a 
there was not an international global agenda. That was the very beginning of it. Um, and what was what was um, um, what was dominating the agenda back then was to start knitting together this network, which we have today. But it took a lot of time uh, in order to convince, convince those um, local players that there was going to be an increasing in international agenda. Um, some of the some of the beginning of those of the, the beginning of that international agenda were the debates around tobacco advertising bans. You may remember. First time you have actually first time you have a theme, which actually multiple countries were addressing, and and brands had needed a view on that. The other thing which was also emerging was international media management roles. Now I remember Procter Gamble had um, had put that in place, Unilever, etc., and you had people in companies which would have actually an, uh, um, a mandate to, um, to um, set and control a, um, a global media management agenda. Uh, back then in Unilever, there were probably half a dozen of those, yeah? But they needed a resource like WFA, which was able to connect from global to local. Yeah? That was the very beginning of the dynamics. And how did the, it was a headhunter who found you? Yeah, um, it was a good story. It was um, Russell Reynolds. Um, you know, I, I was having conversation with, with headhunters like, you know, um, like you know, executives do. Um, and I was being interviewed. And there's a lady coming into that uh, conversation interrupts us for five minutes. Uh, her name is Beatrice de Jong. I've kept, I've kept in touch with her now many years after. I still, I still see her from time to time because she's had such an important role in my life. And she asked me the question which no headhunter ever asked. You know, headhunters always ask you, would you want to do the same job for 20% more salary uh, for your competitor? That's the sort of stuff they do. You know, it's, it's the easiest, it's, uh, it's the safest, um, and, and that's, you know, that's basically the business model. She asked, a much, she asked an open question. She said, I've heard of you. I have one question. What would, what would be your dream job? Never, no one had ever asked me a question like that. No, not in a professional environment, no. And I hadn't really even thought about it. Um, and I sort of responded without even hesitating and thinking. One day I'd like to combine my two passions, which I just described to you a bit earlier, you know, which is, on the one hand, the sort of international societal agenda, and on the other hand, the, sort of, uh, the marketing um, um, skill and um, and the business uh, dimension, you know, and accountability dimension. And I and I argued on top of. I remember me arguing to her. You know, what? there are very few which have that, which are sitting at that intersection. And my belief is there's going to be more need of that in the future. And she said, "Look, it's very unusual what you're telling me, but you no, know, I I hear you. I understand what you're saying." And she, you know, she she leaves. And she calls me back six months later saying. I think I have your job, and so that's that's how I ended up in, in that job. And uh, she she is a person who really made a big difference in my life because um, but because I still think today um, I have the privilege of, of of doing something which is profoundly in sync with who I am. Um, and she she made that possible by asking that question. So you've been there now about seventeen years, and observationally, the last. Let's call it, you know, four, five, six years. The WFA has emerged in a much more powerful way. You are now a big, big, big global player and influence. Um, and that's not to say that you weren't before, but you seem to have hit your stride. 
Talk about the journey, what the initial vision was, how difficult it was to get there. And of course, I want to talk about the current state and the future state, but talk a little bit about the journey. And was there a crescendo moment when sort of all of a sudden you said, hey, I think I got this figured out? It was by no by no means a linear trajectory, you know. Uh, it always looks like linear when you look back, but it was not. There were some 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 downs and a few ups, uh, but it was incrementally finding the model, um, which uh, which delivers value for global brands, um, and and building trust with key decision makers in the global brand community, and that doesn't happen overnight. You need to be you need to be deserving it, and and you build it uh, step by step. That's 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 one dynamic. The other dynamic is the global agenda um, of the industry, which is um, um, which, which requires um, from brand owners a a a, a global um, a response. Um, and um, and today more than ever, and certainly as you say, the last three four years that has become obvious. And um, and so we were able, if you want, to build. On the um, on the on the hard labor of building that credibility and trust with brand owners, and latch on it leadership initiatives which help respond to challenges at the global level uh, for brand owners. And and I I truly think that the essence of WFA is a sense of community. You know, when when people join WFA and start to get to know each other, there's 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 magic happening, and it it might sound tacky. But it is it is true, and I think Matt, you've experienced some of that. Um, I have. You, yeah. You've joined some of those um, events, the Global Marketing Week, etc. These are the so we bring together once a year for for a week. We bring together our membership, and that's where we get members from China, from Brazil, from New Zealand, from Russia, from South Africa to join, attend our conference, but also our AGM, our executive committees, and and all our meetings. And you have the most unlikely um, people coming together into one place. I mean, you have the president of our Chinese association, who is the former Secretary of State of the Chinese government, and who is a, who is a member of the Chinese Communist Party. You have um, you know, the, 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 the CMO of, um, of Diageo. You have um, the head of public affairs um, of, um, um, of um, AP InBev in Nigeria. You have the head of the Zimbabwean estate. You have you have very very different profiles. After that week, you sense that there's something which 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 unites them, um, and and that's basically the values um, which um, which are the WFA values and a sense of common purpose, and and which and we um, I think we cultivate it through our programs, but not only through our programs, also through human connection. And this is why I'm a big believer in. In you, in the stuff you do, by the way, uh, Matt, uh, now the the Ad Week um, um, uh, festivals around the world are a unique opportunity to bring together people, because although the digital transformation allows us to um, to continue to operate in this lockdown, um, if you want to be working with such a diverse group of brand leaders all around the world, you need to be building trust. You need to be having also the ability and the time. To, um, to be surprised by connecting with people you would not have come across in the corridors of your office. Um, and, and, and that's really what makes the strength of the WFA. Uh, so to your point, 
people have played a, and continue to play a fundamental role in the, in the success of our organization. So talk about what's on the agenda now. I mean, I, I understand that we are in a unique period as we are, you know, speaking to each other in the corona era. But uh, on the assumption that we will get past this, what are the top two, three, four agenda items on your plate and the WFA plate? So, um, of course, we've pivoted in order to be relevant in, um, in, in this COVID crisis and many, many brand owners um, today more than ever need to rapidly find the right response and need to be inspired by what some of their um, uh, peers do. You know, so we, we're running, we've wrapped up our webinars, we've created a COVID compendium which lists all the incredible stories of brands you know, um, 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 rethinking their marketing strategies and, uh, and being useful um, uh, to society in, in a time of deep distress. Uh, so that's clearly um, something which, which, you know, which keeps us very, very busy right now. However, there are a number of, sort of longer-term priorities uh, which, we'll, which we are not letting go and which remain incredibly important uh, for us. Um, and so these are... Um, on the one hand, um, the what we call data ethics and data privacy. Um, so, in um, in an increasingly digitalized world, um, brand owners um, need to be striking the right balance between the ability to connect with people and doing so in a manner which with which people are comfortable. Um, and um, and and that is a debate which is happening all around the world. Of course, there are different societal sensitivities to that. But um, it requires a consistent brand owner approach with values which guide us wherever we are. So that's a big, big for us. And building on that, even more complicated in the future, issues around data ethics. There's plenty of things which, which are not being governed by legislation, but which will be possible through technology. You know? And brand owners will need a moral compass. So um, we, we, we are starting to work on that in order to make sure that as brand owners, we, we, we do the right thing. So that's, that's, that's a very, very important one uh, for us. Second one is um, diversity and inclusion. Um, we've mobilized um, on, on, um, on, on, on the gender balance and gender stereotypes, um, as you know. Um, and I think we, we're making some really good headway. And I'm particularly um, encouraged um, to see how, how that theme is then being translated at the local level in a manner which is reflecting local specificities. I mean, clearly, the issue of gender balance and gender stereotypes isn't the same in France, in the US, in Turkey, in China, uh, and in South Africa. And so we have we have chapters at the local level which are bringing to life those those initiatives and which are driving real change. And but but the debate needs to be broader than that. It needs to be about diversity rather than the gender. Um, and so we're going to be announcing um, 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 initiative in, the, in that field in the coming weeks with, with, with some inspirational ambassadors. Can't say more at this stage, but that's going to be a big priority for us. The brand owners have a role to play in helping society become a better society uh, by driving um, uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, the, the third um, um, big agenda um, item for us is what we call the license to operate and um, um, which is which is linked to the trust of society in, in marketing. We have um, 
as you know, we, we've, we've seen declining levels of trust in marketing for many years now across geographies. And one of the low points was reached in January in the Elman Trotbury Winter in Davos, you know, with 56 people, 56% of people around the world saying that the market economy doesn't benefit them um, and, and expressing uh, their skepticism with respect to, um, to companies and, and brands. Um, and, and that reflects, is, is reflected also in, um, in the takeoff of ad blocking um, and, um, and, and, and the overall um, 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 pushback we're, we're sensing on, on marketing happening in many countries. Um, we need to be addressing head on um, 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 those um, that that um, that that um, uh, that pushback, and and that requires us to look at how we can drive a better marketing agenda, an agenda that, that is better aligned with societal aspiration. And one of the things which which makes me actually very positive and very optimistic is when I see how brands have actually um, adjusted and pivoted in the corner crisis. Um, overall, I mean, you, can't, you of course you can't you can't generalize, but but the vast majority of brands are, are getting it right in terms of tone and in terms of um, in terms of making themselves useful. Um, and it's interesting to see that uh, the Edelman um, Edelman have run a Corona um, trust barometer in March. And guess what? Um, people trust employers more than they trust governments and media to be doing the right thing. And people expect brands to st to step up, and they want brands to be operating in a in a private in the public private partnership. So they don't want brands to necessarily be doing stuff themselves. They want them to be doing it in a manner which is aligned with what um, society and, and 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 regulators are um, are offering. Yeah, I think you hit on a key word which will transcend the Corona era, which is tone. And I think I agree, happen to agree with you that it's been. Uh, very uh, satisfying to watch people get it right. I think we spend so much time in society now um, talking about those who get it wrong. So when you see, you know, big, big players on a global scale recognizing the reality of the moment we're in now, that in a way is transcendent and will outlive this era that we are living through right now. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think what you're doing, leading our industry globally and tackling big challenges and advancing agendas that are hard to move. You are moving some very big rocks up some very tall mountains. And I know you've got a great team under you, Rob, and a lot of your folks on your team and working with Raja and people like David and some of the others on your leadership committee. Um, there's one thing which which I learned um, at L'Oreal. It's all about people. It's all about people. You, you you need to pick you need to pick the best people. Not necessarily. It's not only a question of having the smartest. It's the smartest, but also those which have the right mindset, which which truly believe in in, in what you're seeking to do, which share that vision. And when you get yeah. the people into one team, as you know, you know you can you can cross any mountain. And I think I have a great privilege in, in WFA to have assembled a very, very powerful team. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to staying in touch with you during this difficult period. So am I, Max. Keep well. Thank you very much for listening. And for more content just like this, 
visit advertisingweek360.com. Production on this episode was by Jack Hirschman and Brendan Porter. And original music was by Ian Levy.